You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Morning, morning. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Welcome to Redeemer. If you're a guest with us, I want to especially welcome you. I'm glad that you're with us this morning. We are in a series in 1 Corinthians that we've been in for a few weeks now that we'll be in for the rest of the year, working our way through Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And so if you're not already open in your Bible, I want to invite you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to dig into these 17 verses together. And while you turn there, I want to take just a minute and give you um, an update uh, to really celebrate something with you that we are excited about as a church. Um, There are, on average, there are over 75 children in this church that are regularly a part of Redeemer Kids back here every week when we meet. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of little humans. Um, Every week. And they, for the last 52 weeks, have been going through a curriculum called New City Catechisms. They've been learning each week a truth about God, a truth about the gospel, what God has done in the gospel. And and today is week 52. So they are finishing up a curriculum. And we've been so excited about that. We're thankful for how God has uh, worked. We're thankful for those who have served and teachers who um, who have been teaching these truths over the last 52 weeks. And beginning... In June, they will start a new curriculum that we are also excited about. And so I want to just take a minute and I want to pray for our kids. I want to pray for our teachers. Jody sent out an email this week for any of you who have kids and have kiddos that are part of our kids ministry on Sundays. And she shared a bit more about that curriculum. And so if you haven't seen that, take a look at it. One of the things we're most excited about the curriculum is that it's going to give us the opportunity to provide Redeemer Kids classes every week. Uh, most every week. I think fifth Sundays, they'll be in here with us. And so the curriculum is focused on helping them learn their identity that comes from God, that they are a child of God, that they are made by God, that they're loved by Jesus, that they're led by the Holy Spirit. And we're really, really excited about that. So I want to take a moment and pray that God would use this shift in new curriculum, that it would be an easy transition, and that God would bless and provide uh, teachers uh, for our Redeemer Kids ministry. So let's pray together. Let, let's lift that up, and then we'll get back into our text. Father, we come to you now, and we thank you for the ministry that takes place every week inside this building. It's not just in this room, but even back in those hallways, there are so many little ones who are being prayed for, who are being loved, who are being led, who are being pointed to the truths of your word. And we thank you for that ministry that takes place. We thank you for the last 52 weeks, how they've been learning truths about you from New City Catechisms. And as we shift gears and move into a new curriculum, we just pray, Father, that you would be in the midst of all of that transition as teachers on board to new curriculum. We pray that you would bless them, Lord, that you would use their, the, the, the fruit of, of, of their, that you would bless their hands and that it would bear fruit. And, um, and we pray that you would continue to provide uh, others who would want to step up and serve and, and help teach our children. Pray that for the kiddos as they uh, begin this new curriculum, that they learn deep in their hearts and minds that you love them, that they were made by you and for you, that Jesus has died for them and loves them deeply. The Holy Spirit is a guide for them. And so would you use this transition? Would it be a time of uh, fruitfulness in the lives of our children and in the families of this church? We lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we are continuing in this study of Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. And if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at chapter 1 and chapter 2 where Paul has really diagnosed 
the first problem in Corinth. We've titled this series Renovation because the church in Corinth had a lot of problems. The church in Corinth had a great foundation. Paul says that at the beginning of the letter. He's going to talk about that in our text today. The foundation is Christ. There's no other foundation. So the foundation is solid. The foundation is Christ. But they've made a bit of a mess of the church, and it needs renovation. It needs to be remodeled. Some things needed to be ripped out and rebuilt and, and cleaned up and put back together. And that's what Paul is using the letter to do, to bring renovation into our lives and into our hearts and into his church. And we said that the first two problems were clear. Number one, they had become a church divided, divided around personality, divided around preference, that they were kind of getting into little cliques and groups. And the unity of Christ was not on display in Corinth, but instead the church in Corinth was, was looking like Corinth. It wasn't looking like Christ. It wasn't reflecting Christ. Divisions were on display. And then the second thing that we said is that they were falling into foolishness. They were believing the, the, the lies of the world. They were, they were being swayed by the messages of the culture. And so as we pick up in our text today, Paul is going to go a bit beyond diagnosing the problem. So he's identified the problem. Chapter three, he's, it's demo day. <laughs> he, he's, he, starts, he starts to do some demo. All right, we've identified the problem. Now it's, it's it, it, Paul is, Paul's a bit feisty in this passage today. Here's what he's going to show us. He's going to show us that there are some beliefs behind the problems in Corinth. In other words, if you're, maybe you've been in a situation like this. I've done this in my house where I've needed to change a light fixture and you've gotten up there to take down the light fixture, and then all of a sudden you realize you've got to actually rewire the whole house. You know? You're like, oh no, there's actually something deeper. It's not just the light fixture, or there's something behind the wall, and oh no, we've got to go a bit deeper. That's what Paul's going to do in our text today. He's going to say there's some beliefs behind this problem of division and this problem of worldliness in the church that needs to get fixed. Let's look back at the text, starting in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. He says, But I, brothers and sisters, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. You can underline that if you are a Bible underliner. People of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. There it is again. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? At first read, these four verses, it kind of feels like Paul just can't let it go. Have you ever been there maybe as a parent or as a spouse? You've, there's, there, someone's done something that's upset you and you, you, know, you talk about it and you address the problem and then you try and move on and you just can't move on. You just can't let it go. Keep coming back to it. At, at first read, it kind of feels like maybe that's what's going on with Paul. He's back to this issue of division that he brought up in chapter one. But really, that's not what's going on here. Paul is trying to take them deeper. He's saying the problem isn't really how you've been acting. The problem is with what, you what you've been believing, specifically what you've been believing about the church. You see, here's the fundamental principle. Our behaviors always reveal our beliefs. Our behaviors always, at some level, reveal our beliefs. And Paul is saying the way you've been behaving, divided and worldly, it's revealing that you don't have right beliefs about 
God's church. Paul gives two examples. First, he says, you have the attitude of babies. <laughs> he says, that's the first problem. You're, you're acting like a bunch of little babies rather than giving and sharing and serving and working together, rather than being a people, the church, a family gathered around the table, feasting on Christ. You're like a bunch of little babies that want milk. That's what he's saying. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates verse 3. Peterson says, this is his rendering of verse 3. He says, as long as you grab for what makes you feel good or makes you feel important, are you really much different than a babe at the breast? Content only when everything's going your way. He says the, the divisions in the church, it's revealing that you have an attitude of a baby, kind of a, a me, 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 me attitude as you think about the purpose of the church. And then he's going to talk about their behavior. So the attitude of a baby, and he says, you're behaving in merely human or in only human ways. Do you see that? He gets at the attitude, and then he, now he's talking about their behavior. Three times in the text, he uses the phrase, of the flesh. What does this mean? What's he saying? Well, he's saying your old self, your, your old human nature is showing. You're acting like fleshly people, not spiritual people, not people of the cross, not people living the way of Jesus led by the Spirit of Christ, but you're acting like mere humans. He's getting at that stain of Genesis 3 that we all inherit. You know what I'm talking about? That me-centered attitude. That, that's the way of the world. The me-centered stain of Genesis chapter 3 that is never content, that's always wanting, that sees a self as the sinner, looking to meet our own needs, seeking our own desires, reaching, grabbing, making everything about me. He says, that's the way of human behavior. That's the way of the world. That's not the way of Christ. And I want you to know something, church. We can do this in just about every area of our life. We can go back to the merely human way of living, the way of the flesh. We can do it in just about every area of our life. You can do it in your marriage, those of you who are married. You can take marriage, which is meant to be about who? Christ in the church, and you can make it about me, 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 me. We can do this in friendship. We can do this in our job, in our work, rather than working unto the Lord. Paul talks about that in, in Colossians. We do everything, work unto the Lord. We can make work all about me, me, me. We can do this in just about every area of our life, and the result is always the same. What's the result? What does Paul say? This way of behaving, this me-centered way of thinking about the church and engaging the church is leading to Jealousy and strife, disunity and discord. So Paul is saying you have the attitude of babies. You're acting like people of the world in merely human ways rather than spiritual people, rather than people who have been set free by Jesus Christ to love God and to love others, rather than people who are following the crucified Messiah who says, take up your cross and follow me. You're living like mere humans, people of the flesh. He's saying, look at how you're behaving and what is it revealing about what you are believing. You see, Paul is trying to paint a picture for the Corinthians to see how poor their ecclesiology has become. That's a big word. It's a churchy word. What does that mean, ecclesiology? Well, it simply means our belief about the church. Paul is trying to say, look at how poor your ecclesiology has become. Look at how broken what you believe about the church is by how you're acting. You see, we all have an ecclesiology, whether we realize it or not. 
we all have some beliefs about church, about this thing that we're doing here. We all have beliefs about what it's for, what's the point, how it's supposed to be. We all have some kind of ecclesiology. Maybe some of you are in this church, or maybe all of us can remember what it was like to, to look for a church or to visit a church. And when you visit a church, when you're looking for a church, you're evaluating that church in light of your ecclesiology, whether you realize it or not. You're evaluating a church in light of what you believe that the church ought to be about. And there is a direct correlation between what we believe about the church and how we engage the church. That's what Paul is getting at. And I want to just push pause here for a moment, and I want to try and bring this idea that Paul is introducing us to into the 21st century, into our world. Paul says to the Corinthians, you're acting like babies, you're acting like mere humans, and it's revealing an unhealthy belief about the church. But what would that look like for us? What might Paul say to Christians in the 21st century? How might our actions and our ways of engaging church reveal bad ecclesiology? Well, I think that there are some who engage church like consumers, who engage the church like consumers, looking for the church to meet their felt needs. The church needs to meet my needs. It's about a specific kind of worship style, like consumers looking for their brand, their style, certain kind of preaching. Sorry to disappoint you. Certain kinds of kids' programs, like a consumer, the right flavor of friends. Well, I like a lot of things about the church, but they just aren't the kind of friends that I like to have. I like to find. I'm going to keep shopping. And now, let me just give a caveat. It is important to evaluate churches and make sure that churches are a right fit for you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that that is in itself wrong. But the attitude behind it is what we're calling into question. What, is this, uh, what does this tell us about what we believe about the church? How we engage the church reveals what we believe about the church. And for some, church exists to meet my felt needs, and so we engage as a consumer. There are others who engage the church like investigators, like investigators. They come in with a critical eye. They come in looking for the problems, what's really going on here. Where are the problems? And here's a principle in life. You always see what you look for, don't you? So if you're looking for problems, you're always going to find them. And also, here's another principle for life. There is no perfect people, including you. There are no perfect churches. And so if we're looking for the problems, we're going we're to find the problems. And investigators, they do. They find the problems. And rather than building up the church, investigators pick apart the church they're evaluating everyone and everything all of the time rather than leaning in in love. You see, how we engage the church reveals to us what we believe about the church. And those who are always investigating the church have forgotten that the church is the bride of Christ and whom Jesus loves and whom Jesus is perfecting and instead love to find the problems. Still, there are others who engage church like performers, as if the church is a, a playground for all of their ministry ambition, as if the church is a stage for their ego. Ministry and serving and leadership, it's really about them. It's really about their preferences. It's really about their agendas. It's really about their constant ideas for the church. The church is a playground for the performer. How we engage the church reveals what we believe 
about the church. And finally, there are others who engage the church like spectators, watching but never engaging. Spectators have believed the lie that they have nothing to offer. See, self is at the center in a different way for the spectators. It's, it's more self-loathing or maybe even self-doubt. I have nothing to offer here. Yeah, maybe Christ can forgive me, but he never would use me. Why would he ever want to use me? And so self is at the center in a bit, a, a bit of a different way. And, and listen, here's the point. Paul is using this third chapter of this letter. Paul is writing to bring renovation to the ecclesiology, the beliefs about the church of a bunch of people who have forgotten the point and the purpose of being God's people, of being the church. Paul is writing to say what we believe about the church matters and how we act in the church and how we treat the church believes what we believe about the church. And based upon the language that Paul uses in these 17 verses, it is crystal clear that to Paul this is serious. He's saying the church isn't your playground. The church isn't something for you to pick apart and tear down. It's the bride of Christ. The church isn't a shopping mall for you to consume. It's the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. He's saying this is serious. And just about every scholar that I read this week on the text is very clear about this. Paul is heated in this passage. Like he's had enough, enough making it about you, Paul is saying. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Last summer, we were on a family road trip to Orange Beach, Alabama, which is kind of our place. We love that place. But it's a long way away, man. It's like 10 hours. And I have three small children. And so we're on our road trip to Orange Beach, Alabama, and we were taking my pickup truck. And so, you know, three small children in a pickup truck, that only means one thing. They're right on top of each other for 10 hours. And we had gotten about three hours, maybe, into the drive, into the 10-hour drive. And my children in the back seat. I love them, by the way. They're a blessing from the Lord. My, my children in the back seat started acting like the Corinthians, bickering and arguing and yelling and fighting and elbowing and me, me, me. It's about me, my iPad. No, I want the switch. No, you had the switch, right? This is going on and on in my back seat. And I had had enough. It was time for some renovation in the back seat of my truck. And so I think I might have said loudly, some anger. Um, Enough! Be quiet! Just ride. And I'd given them assignment. I said, I want all of you just, each of you get out your notepad and draw. It's arts and crafts time. No more talking. And And then I started lecturing them. The whole point of this trip is for us to enjoy one another as a family. And look what you're doing. Bickering and arguing. The whole purpose of this trip is that we would make memories together. And look at what you're doing, tearing each other apart in the backseat, right? It was time for renovation. And I'll tell you what, I felt like dad of the year for about the next 15 minutes because they got quiet. They were, dude, pencils and color pencils were flying. They're leaning in, they're giggling, they're loving each other. And I thought, yeah, that really worked. They got the message. I reminded them of the whole point and the whole purpose of a family vacation. And now our unity as a family has been restored. Only later did I find out that they were leaning in and laughing and giggling because Titus, my oldest son, started to draw a portrait of me. And it it was this. (laughs) 
<laughs> Dad on fire. You can, you can take that down on him. There's an element of this text in which the Apostle Paul is on fire. There's, a, there's an element of this text where he is saying, enough. Stop making the church about you. Like little babies grabbing for what you want, fussing until your needs are met. Enough with the consuming and the investigating and the nitpicking and the performing. Enough. You've forgotten the whole point. You've forgotten the purpose you see, Paul, it's clear if you read the New Testament, if you read Paul's letters, his ecclesiology, the ecclesiology that he teaches is clear. The church is first and foremost a people. It is a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we say here at Redeemer that we are a diverse gospel-centered family, brothers and sisters brought together by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, called out of all kinds of different and diverse backgrounds and places and sin struggles, united in Jesus. It's first and foremost a people, and it's a people with a common faith and a common hope and a common purpose. And you know what that common faith and that common hope and that common purpose is? Jesus, him. The church is about him, the New Testament is clear. The point and the purpose of the church in all things is Jesus Christ. It's for him. It's about his gospel, his message. It's for his glory. In fact, Paul says in Colossians 1, 17 through 20, he says that, uh, that, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of his body. He's before all and in all. He is all in all, Paul says. He is preeminent. It's all about Jesus. And so when <clears throat> church becomes about us in any way, Paul says it's time for renovation. It's time for renovation in our heart because how we engage the church and how we treat the church and how we view the church is a serious matter to God. Look at verse five. Paul's going to now give some new images. He's given the images of little babies whining and of mere humans He's going to give some new images. He's going, to, he's going to renovate our ecclesiology. Look at verse 5. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Remember, they're arguing about, well, I, I, I'm better than you because I follow Paul. I'm better than you because I follow Apollos. He says, what, what then is Paul? We're, we're servants through whom you believe. We're servants as the Lord assigned to each. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. So he gives a new image here. Paul says the church isn't about you. The church is about God. The local church in any place, at any time, all across the globe, here in Round Rock, Texas, and with Irvin, our brother, his local church in Slovakia, it's not about us, it's about God, we are God's field. God does the work. All of us are called to be faithful servants. The word that Paul uses here in verse five, he says, what's Paul? What's Apollos? We're servants. It's the word, uh, it's the word that we get our, our word deacon from, the word in the Greek, diaconus. It simply means an, an, an attendant or a waiter of tables. He says, church isn't even about 
<laughs> me, I'm an apostle, Paul says. It's not even about me. I'm just, a, I'm, just a sir, I'm just a waiter of tables. To apply his language to this metaphor, I was just the plowboy. <laughs> I just, my job was to come in and see what God was up to and to till up the soil and pluck out the rocks and start to plant some seeds. Apollos came along later. He's just the water boy. He just came along later and watered. It's about God. This thing belongs to God. This is his church. I planted, Apollos watered. And by the way, just as a bit of an aside, it's not the primary point of the text, actually, so I hesitated even to go here, but just as an aside, anybody who's trying to do any kind of gospel ministry, there's a lot of encouragement here in this text. There's a, whether you're in vocational ministry or you're just trying to make disciples of people that you love, you're trying to share the gospel with your kids or with your family or with your friends or your coworkers, there's a lot of encouragement here. God does not call us to change people. We cannot change people. We can be faithful to love them, to share the truth with them, to uh, display the truth to them, to pray for them, to teach them, to speak to them, but we cannot change people. Only God can work in the hearts of men, women, and children. Paul switches metaphors. He says, the church belongs to God, you're God's field, and then he says, you're God's building. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a, ma like a skilled master builder or like an architect... It's what he's saying. Like an architect, I had the blueprint. Jesus gave me the blueprint. I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Or let everyone, is how that could be rendered, take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so in verse 10, Paul is saying, as an apostle, Jesus has tasked me with giving the blueprint for the church. So I did my job. I came in and I proclaimed the gospel and I laid the foundation. The, the substance of the foundation is who? Christ, he says. As the architect, I did the work, but Christ is the foundation. He's the substance. Apollos came along and framed it up, put up the studs, He's continuing with, the, with this new metaphor. The church is a building, God's building, God's household, God's temple. Apollos framed it up. And he says, each of you, each one, has a role to play in what the church becomes. Do you see where he's going? We each have a role to play. We each have unique giftings and perspectives and passions. We each have a role to play and what the church is to become. We each contribute something. We're all building upon the foundation of Christ and the apostles. You're either strengthening the church, Paul's gonna go on and say, you're either building it up in love and in faith. That's the main point of the letter when we get to chapters eight and 10. You're either building up the church in faith and in love, or you're not. Or you're tearing it down. You're hurting its witness. Look at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, these are images from Solomon's temple, beautiful adorning things. Notice we don't all build the same way. Each one builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, half-hearted, empty, self-centered. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, 
he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So now it becomes what, clear what building he's talking about, right? We are a, the temple of, 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 God, of, Jesus, of God's spirit. We are, we are the, the presence of God, the local church on earth. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. By the way, that, that verse is not talking about uh, getting tattoos. Um, uh, in our staff meeting this week, someone brought that up. They said, I, I grew up in a, in, in, in a, in a real legalistic space, and uh, they used this verse to, to, to say why we shouldn't get tattoos. Um, that is not what Paul's talking about here. You can decide on your own, but let's be, let's, let's be uh, faithful to the text. He's not talking about tattoos. <laughs> For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So when the scriptures talk about the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, that's the, the day that Paul is referencing. Christ will come again. And when the scriptures talk about the return of Christ, it uses the image of fire to communicate something that's important. And it's this, that Jesus Christ is the great revealer. We can dupe one another. Jesus Christ is the great revealer. We can't dupe Jesus. And Jesus Christ is the great purifier. That's what fire does. It reveals and it purifies. He's the purifier of our lives, and he will be the purifier of this world when he comes again. Those who have put their hope in him, who have built their lives upon him, who have loved him and who have lived for them, they will be revealed for what they truly are by grace through faith. And those who have not, those who have continued down the path of me, the, the human way, the me-centered way, who have lived a self-centered life of, of sin, they will be revealed. When Jesus Christ comes again, he will vindicate his people and he will cast away those who have rejected him. Yet in verse 15, Paul says something that I think is really interesting. He makes it clear that even those who will be saved, even those who will be saved in the end, will still stand before Jesus and will be accountable for our lives. Now, I don't want you to mishear me. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. But Paul is saying here that we will stand before Jesus and we will, and, and we will stand before him and we will stand accountable for how we lived, how we used our life. One commentator that I read this week, he said that there will be many who will enter the kingdom of God smelling like smoke <laughs> because they will stand, account will stand accountable for our lives. Here's what he's saying. He's saying we will specifically, we will specifically stand before Jesus and stand accountable for how we engaged his church. If you're in Christ, you will stand before Jesus one day and, and he will have a conversation with you about the ways in which you loved his church. I you just to imagine that. This is a warning of the text. Paul's on fire. <laughs> he's serious. Enough. You're going to stand before Jesus about all of this, he's saying to the Corinthians. Why? Well, because Jesus loves his church. He died for his church. He lives now sustaining his church and purifying his church. He loves his church, and so should we. We should love him and love his people. And listen, I know that there are, there's a lot wrong with the church in our day and age. 
okay? I know that there's a lot of problems with the church, but there are too many people who are tearing the bride of Christ apart. There are too many people who are occupied spending all of their time and energy tearing down the church rather than engaging the local church and building it up. Hear me, Jesus loves his church. The local church is his plan for the world. Jesus loves you. Do you hear me? Jesus loves you. He loves this church. His local church is the, is the plan, his plan for the world. It's, it's, it's his plan for us. God's plan for you, for your maturity in Christ, your sanctification in Christ, you know what it is? It's the local church. That's his plan for you. It's not a podcast or a book study. It's the church. That's his plan for you. We're his vessels to the world. We're his plan for the world, how the world hears and sees the good news of the gospel in real local places. And while no church is perfect, all of us who call Jesus Christ our Savior and our Lord ought to do everything that we can with all that we have to build up his church. Paul says there is an eternal reward or an eternal loss for how we do that. He says those who go on consuming and taking and criticizing, those who use the church as a playground of their own ego and ambition, making the church all about them will suffer loss, he says, as they stand before Christ. This is strong language. It's, again, it's like kind of yelling at the kids in the back seat. It's meant to sober, them up, so sober us up to consider our ecclesiology, how we view the church. And so just as we close, just please hear me. If there's been anything today that has convicted you, as we've talked about what we believe about the church and how we engage the church, if there's been anything today that's convicted you, would you, would you turn to Jesus? Would you turn to his mercy? Would you just ask him in repentance? Repent this morning. That, that is a, an invitation, a sweet invitation from Jesus. Repent of any beliefs or attitudes or behaviors that have revealed uh, that, that I, don't lo- I haven't loved the church. I haven't given my best to the church. I'm not committed to the church. I'm using the church, whatever it might be. Would you take the opportunity today to repent? Take the posture of repentance. That's the warning of the text. But here's the sweet truth of the text. There's a sweet truth here. And as one of your pastors, um, I, as I was reading this, this week and studying as one of your pastors, I just kept thinking, man, I can't wait to get to the sweet truth of this text. I gotta deal with the warning because it's there. And that's what it means to preach the text. But the sweet truth of the text is that he also says for those who build with gold, silver, and precious stones, those who give their best and who give their all and who love the church and who live for Jesus with his people, live for Jesus' mission, says that there will be sweet reward. And this church, as one of your pastors, this church is full of so many people that so faithfully love and build up and strengthen the church. This family is full of so many brothers and sisters who are using their gifts and their strengths and their perspectives, building with gold and building with silver and building with precious stones year over year, who are giving faithfully, who are loving with all of their heart. I see it every Sunday when I walk the hall, so many that are pouring into the kids. I see it in the lobby as people are fellowshipping and loving one another, as people are greeting, as people are using their gifts on Sunday on our worship team and other areas. I see it during the week as we gather in community and people are opening up their homes homes and opening up their lives, gospel community leaders who are inviting stains on their carpet and inviting people's problems into their life, people building up the church. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful to me. It's beautiful to your pastors. Most importantly, it's visible and it's beautiful to Jesus. 
because he loves his church. It's beautiful to Jesus. He sees it. It's beautiful to Jesus because it's about him anyway, isn't it? And the text tells us that upon the day of his return, he will reward you, meaning those things that we do in this life that build up his church are eternal. They last. So church, here's the call. Would we let this text this morning spur us on? As the author of Hebrews writes, let let it spur us on toward meeting together and toward love and toward good works. Let let it spur us on to be his church. We don't need to consume church programs. We get to feast on Christ together. That's what this is about. We don't need to investigate the faults and shortcomings of others. We can mine the riches of his grace, the depths of his love. We don't need to perform making the church our playground, but we humbly serve the one who has served us, laying his life down for us as a ransom. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your great work of redemption. Ephesians 1 tells us that before the foundations of the earth, it was your plan to reconcile all things in Christ Jesus. And we say thank you that we're caught up in that beautiful work. We are a part of that work. All of those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, we're part of your body, your church. Help us to be a local church that shines the love and the light of your gospel into the nooks and crannies, cracks and crevices of this city, of this community. Help us to be a people that feast upon you as we gather week by week. It's about you, Jesus. It's not about us. Help us to be a people that are faithful to serve, to plant, and to water, to plow. Would you bring growth in our lives and in our church? For your glory, we pray. Help us to be a temple that is adorns that adorns the gospel. Help us to be a holy temple, a people for your own possession, displaying the excellencies of the one who's called us out of darkness into marvelous light. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.